1: Hi, it's Joanna Oakey here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Today we have on the show two fabulous guests, Mark Vigers and Lance Rubin from BGC Consultants, talking all about the area of financial modeling for business insight And decision making and particularly in part two, we'll be really focusing on the application of this area in M and A activity. This is a really good episode, not just talking about the concepts of financial modeling as a whole and how to use financial analysis and modeling to make better decisions using our numbers. We are also talking about the realities of how we use financial modeling to get people within our decision-making team on the same page. Lance comes to us with a wealth of modelling experience across financial and professional services, having worked at two of the big four accounting firms and many other areas that then led him to start his own financial modelling consultancy firm. And Mark Vigers brings his more than 23 years experience as a general manager and program director to provide a bit of a different insight into this financial modelling discussion. Well, here we go with part one where we really set the scene with Lance talking about financial modelling as a whole. And we also delve into some of the opportunities in financial modelling for accountants. So here we go. Lance and Mark, thank you very much for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. Very
0: welcome. Thanks, John. Thanks.
1: Fabulous. Okay, so today we're talking about this topic of financial modelling for business insight and decision making. So, look, maybe let's start right at the beginning. Why are we talking about this? What do you think it's a, an important topic for us to be focusing on?
0: Joanne, that's a great question. It's something I often get asked, um, uh, you know, I've travelled around the world on various um, conferences and talks. And the, the key thing is about decision making. The world's become so complex. We've got so much data. Data is the new oil and we need to make something with that oil. We need mm. to really enhance the data. And so... Um, there's no point in telling people what has happened, and I think the world of accounting and finance is also being faced with a huge amount of disruption, just like the taxi industry. And accountants and finance professionals are asked to add more value and look forward and be mm. more predictive and 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 all these things. And and you know, accountants are very black and white. I'm an accountant, so I'm, I'm you know I don't want to bag accountants, but but we are very <laughs> um, we, we are very black and white. probably very similar to lawyers. <laughs> um, and, and the fact of that is, is that makes it difficult to navigate grey. So decision making is where we add value and where we're seen by our customers and our clients uh, and, and our staff, uh, where we can really add value because it's in the decision that's valuable, not in the in the model itself. But mm. you know, obviously, good data. We now got more data. We've got more data than you know we probably can use. Some of that's not great in terms of its cleanliness, but in the end, the, the key thing is the decision and how do we help people navigate this world that is just moving so fast?
1: Mm. And so, what what do you see as the greatest application or the greatest opportunity, I guess, for, um, for accounting professionals in this m and space when coming you know, from this uh, financial modelling or analytics perspective?
0: Well, it's quite funny. I used to work for an investment bank, and we built all the financial models for businesses, or, or you know, we did it as a as third party. And I think um, sometimes accountants inside businesses can probably be a bit more uh, aware of of what value creation and destruction they're doing before the M and A transaction to sort of help and navigate the success and help other advisors really understand what's going on quite often businesses don't have a model so the investment bank has to build the model um, and, and so I think the the finance professionals can really upskill in this space it's not something that um, certainly myself I, I, I qualified I did uh, articles at uh, PwC and and worked in banking and it wasn't until I actually left audit um, and assurance and went into investment banking and corporate finance and m a that I actually got used to this thing about financial modeling or financial engineering it almost wasn't a topic it was sort of oh you know you're a financial modeler because you're good at excel but it's much more than that it's mm. it's business context it's accounting it's cash flow it's risk mm. um, and, and it's and it's uncertainty and problem mm. solving and so all these things we just don't learn as accountants, and I think you know we can add a lot more value to our careers. Um, it's certainly much more in demand now. Um, most accountants going for jobs will see financial modelling on a on a CV, but you know there's no financial modelling qualification um, that, that that has existed recently. There was one that was created called, mm. called the FMI, um, just like your CFA and your CA or CPA. So it's becoming a, a quite a, a hot topic in in finance and accounting because. A lot of the his, historical reporting um, stuff that, that, they, that accountants do is being automated. I mean, you know, ATO, making tax digital in the UK, you know, all these things are, are putting pressure on accounting to deliver more value than just a report mm. or a pen mm. on a balance sheet.
1: I think you're absolutely right. But And and I think and maybe here it's worthwhile drawing the distinction between uh, very simple modelling and more complex modelling and perhaps some of the mistakes that are made in oversimplifying. Because, you know, I think there's very few trans- uh, transactions that I've seen where there's not some sort of financial model where there's some sort of you know numbers thrown into a spreadsheet somewhere somehow <laughs> that have said okay this is what we're expecting you, you know our outcome to, to look like so so uh, so simplistic financial modeling is is probably generally covered um, and then you know there is the perception that with the more complex financial modelling comes a massive amount of expense, particularly if you you know looking at the investment banking side. So, I guess what, what sits in the middle and what do you think the biggest mistakes made from taking too simplistic a view?
0: That's a great question. Um, don't know if I can answer it all in in one go, but I'll give it a crack. So, um, you know, simple modeling. You know, you could just do basic growth rates. So you say, you know, we're going to grow revenue by X percent period on period, and and you know that that to me that's too simplistic because you know, you, you, if you want to grow revenue by five percent, well, you can't tell someone to do that. You've actually got to tell someone to do stuff. So that is go on a marketing campaign, spend money get leads, convert those leads, make sure the clients spend an average amount, then that drives revenue. So it's actually a driver-based conversation as opposed mm. to just, a, are we just going to increase revenue? by?" So, so the simplistic modeling would be um, not a three-way model, which is an income statement balance sheet and cash flow. Simplistic model, people will say, oh, well, I'm, I've got my revenue for the last 12 months and I'm going to increase it by X percent. I'm going to change cost by Y percent and I'm going to have profit at Z percent and not really think about cash flow and balance sheet. At the other end of the spectrum, you have multi-currency, multi-entity, project finance, sculpted debt, um, You know, a whole bunch of macros that, that really make this extremely powerful but also very complex. But unfortunately, sometimes it is quite a complex permutation of assumptions, and really that's what a model is. It, it's a set of assumptions, there's a set of data, and there's a set of calculations which result in an output. Mm. Um, so, at the upper end, you have the complexity. In the middle, I'd say you still want a three-way model. Um, you know, I ask many accountants actually saying, you know, income statement, balance sheet or cash flow, which is the most important? And, and half of the room would say an income statement is important because that's how you get valuation. You get your EBITDA and you got a multiple. Mm. The other half would say, oh, uh, no, it's cash flow because cash is king and cash mm. is important. Mm. And, and I turn around and I say, well, I'm sorry, you're both wrong because balance sheet's the most important. Because if your balance sheet doesn't balance, how do you know your income statement and your cash flow are correct? Mm. So the world kind of doesn't even understand, the world of accounting, that is, doesn't even understand the concept of three-way modeling. Mm. So I'd say in the middle is a three-way model, a basic three-way model, um, which has got some drivers. But you can also have a three-way model that sort of has the X percent growth year on year. Um, so that's probably in the middle. And on the other end, you, you've got it's got to be driver-based. You've got to have, um, at more sophisticated levels, a, senor- a scenario manager. And if you really want to get fancy, you do Monte Carlo simulation where you're running thousands and thousands of um, scenarios and simulations through a model. And that's, you know, there's very few people that are doing that. Maybe us.
1: I, I like the name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's well, a bit of gambling? I mean, I mean, I mean, right. the casinos run on it, right? <laughs> casinos run on Monte Carlo simulation. They're, they're the most profitable. You look at Las Vegas, right? Las Vegas is a mint you know, it, it, it's 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 the city of gold, right? Because every single casino is guaranteed to make money. It's fact. You know, the house is stacked against you. You know, if you're lucky, you walk away with some fingers and toes and, and maybe a few gold gold coins, but that's about it.
1: <laughs> and so and so, if if we start to get really practical, then about the application of um of. Of these models, maybe can you walk us through some examples of where you've used this financial modelling approach, and it's it's resulted in insights that have had a really good practical outcome.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Joanna. Um, I guess for me, it started when I worked uh, for Investec Bank um, as a corporate finance. Um, and a banker, and really helping structure um, a client's balance sheet. Um, they had a uh, heavy investment in, in in property, and they wanted to grow their core business in in hospitality. Um, and and they didn't want to own their, their their property assets, but of course they didn't want to sell their property assets either because it's kind of you know it's a core part of their business, but it was it wasn't of itself generating value. Mm. Um, and so, so they uh, uh, did a sale and lease back, put the property off their balance sheet into a trust, got investors in, managed the trust, had an agreement between the management company and the and the trust, and they were able to to get cash out of their balance sheet to then reinvest to grow and purchase other assets and other sites. Wow! Uh, and they actually expanded outside of Australia uh, in, into Europe, and so um, you know the outcomes there were were huge for um, for. For the, for the business and particularly it was a family-owned business. And so um, the way which we did that is through a model. Um, it, it was going into foreign, foreign um, countries, foreign currencies, foreign tax jurisdictions. So we had to model all the different permutations, one for our hospitality asset, which is largely driven by occupancy rates and, and room rates. And so we had to model that and then we had to model the CapEx program to maintain, you know, notwithstanding the fact that it sat in a trust. And then we had the management company as well, which is, you know, our client, you know, really owned a portion of that. Um, so, so really to help, um, financial modeling helps create value. I mean, that's mm. the bottom line, uh, mm. or protect value, right? So, there may be situations... Uh, We we help startups. Um, We have co-founders that have got great ideas, great passion, just like I have for financial modeling, but great passion for um, saving the world or or doing things. And and ultimately, they just don't know how to translate their great story and their great passion into numbers. Mm. So financial models actually help tell numbers. Sorry, tell story of numbers. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that's done best uh, visually as well. So, you know, some models create some charts and, 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 and so, you know, we like to use other bits of technology that, that really lift that up a notch, which make it you know, interactive. Um, but, yeah, I think...
1: And so what does that mean? What does an interactive financial model mean? I can't wrap my head around this.
0: <laughs> well, um, have you seen a minority report
1: with Tom No, no, I haven't. So, no, so like picture, this for, a picture <laughs> this for the
0: moment. Picture this for the moment. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, because this actually happened in the in, in the movie. Tom Cruise is standing there. There's 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 and, and he's sort of being able to look into the future of crimes mm. a, as a as a cop, and they have a, a range of different technologies that are that are standing in front of him, and he's basically using his hand and he's waving um, sheets of information digitally um, away from him, and sort of. Um, In a tactile way, so through touch, um, interacting with uh, data and information in front of him through his hands, Um, you're probably going to go and now Google Minority Report and Tom Cruise (laughs) pictures. But 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 that's what we do with our models, right? So we we enable people to touch graphs and touch images and move them, which interacts directly with the model underneath. The best way to explain it is a car, right? If you want to drive a car. What do you do? Well, you don't open the bonnet and fiddle with the engine. Your engines excel, right? If you want to start fiddling with your engine and drive your car, I think you might have some you know, lost fingers, um, potentially you know, some broken bones. But ultimately, you, you, you'll have the body of the car. But as a driver, you don't want to know how the car works. You don't want to look at the engine. It'll, it'll make you scared, right? You want to just drive the car, drive the decision, and play with the dashboards and play with the levers. And that's what, that's what visual modeling is and visual influencing. And that's what we build. We build models to help you do that.
1: Yeah, right. Oh, look, it sounds fascinating because I know many people don't love uh, spreadsheet upon spreadsheet of numbers, uh, but I, I guess turn it into something with, uh, you know, a bit of a bar chart that they can move or some uh, pretty colors. <laughs> and, you know, you turn it into something visual and it can be easier to wrap your head around uh, changes and I guess that's the point. Is that the point of this uh, the the software that you're talking about? The ways of representing it is to make it easier for people to understand the differences of pulling different levers in different ways.
0: Oh, way? absolutely! It's actually multi. M- there's multiple benefits of doing that. One, it's it's financial literacy. So suddenly, you get someone who's not Excel savvy, not financial savvy, and they actually can see the interactions of how things can change relative to other things. So, for instance, you know, I'm selling X amount of – I've got so much sales, but my cash goes down. Why does my cash go down? Because I have to fund my working capital. I have to fund Mm. my inventory and my stock. So Mm. you can see the interactions between things and not needing to know debits, credits, balance sheets, and Excel formulas. So one, it's financial literacy. The other one is the speed of the decision-making. And it's it's really helping people – once they get over the the, the, the scariness of, of, of this complex beast being a spreadsheet, which they really don't see because all they see is some pretty pictures, and, and they interact with them, they suddenly start to be able to see clearer what's going on. So, so Their ability to visually understand the complexities that often exist in, in models and spreadsheets and in business, um, they can make the decisions more clearly, more succinctly, and therefore, collaborating with people who have that sort of aha moment is much easier. So you actually cut through to the decision quicker. You get people on board quicker. You collaborate better as opposed to flicking them a spreadsheet and they go, oh, my God, this thing's a nightmare. Or where do I where do I play with this? And then they break and they send it back and say, oh, I've broken the spreadsheet. Or, you know, there's no structure. <laughs> all, you know, And there's errors, you know, all the sorts of things that you hear, all the war stories. No, I love Excel, but it has its challenges. So how do you bridge the gap?
1: Mm, absolutely, absolutely. okay, I love it. and And before we get deep then into uh, how you use modeling and how you've seen modeling used best in M um, and i I'd like to just come back to one concept that I'd like you to step us through about the difference in approach and application of analytics, machine learning and modeling um so and and is this something that people get confused these three different areas and if so why and and how are they different
0: oh totally joanne it's it's quite um astounding i mean i think um you know you talk to anyone you talk to software vendors and everyone's got you know know, they'll throw in ai and machine learning everywhere right so it sort of gets gets sprinkled as, as as the latest just you know sort of turn that you have to sort of feel that you have to use to sound smart. The problem is that most people actually don't understand it. So people will say AI and machine learning. Um, analytics is actually broken up into four components. So there's backward-looking analytics, which is diagnostic, so it diagnoses what happens. It's like you go to a doctor to find out what's actually happened to you. Mm. Um, you have uh, descriptive, right? So diagnoses and then it describes w- what's happened. Very backward looking, and you use tools like Power BI and Tableau and others to really understand and drill down. So analytics is, you know, can can be backward looking through those two methods. But then there's forward looking analytics, and this is where it gets confusing with financial modeling because financial modeling is also forward looking. It also has backward looking information in a model. You have your historical performance, and then you have your future performance. Um, so, you no, know, that's where it gets confusing. Where people say, "Oh." Isn't that financial modeling or isn't that data modeling or this is, you know, so when you're looking forward in the analytics space, you're talking about predictive analytics. So you can see predictive talks about forward and therefore people confuse it with financial modeling, which is also forward. Predictive is saying, you know, Given this data set and given these statistical correlations of information, which is uses a huge amount of data, so it's very statistical-based, lots of data, because it's mm. data-driven, mm. it, it'll predict a certain outcome. It's often very deep but very narrow, like sales. So mm-hmm. if we want to work out, we have all the data around our customers, um, every single product, every single step along our journey through the customer journey, we have all of that. Now we can do build a predictive model based on the data. And quite often that's a black box because it's a code and an algorithm that the machine spits through and spins through and says, okay, the number is this. Mm. And a a human hasn't got the computing power to actually understand why that is. So that's where it's very powerful, but it's generally very narrow. But you need to have good data for that. Prescriptive analytics is now when the machine says, okay, given what what we predict is going to happen, we prescribe this action or that action. Mm. So predictive and prescriptive analytics is very machine learning driven the machine learns the patterns of the data of the past Mm. and therefore makes predictions and prescribes action so that's how those relate now the analytics world is a very data heavy world the financial modeling world is not necessarily a very data heavy world and also it's much wider so analytics lots of data very narrow very deep like sales financial modeling, less data. You just need a pin on a balance sheet and you can build a model. Um, So you don't need to have all the thousands of data points. Um, And it's very wide in terms of, it's not just sales, it's sales, costs, FTE balance sheet PNL cash flow the whole lot. So mm-hmm. financial modeling tends to be a th- what I typically call a three way financial modeling, which is all the components of a business: your income statement, your balance sheet, and your cash flow. There is no predictive analytics. That's three way, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. That's mm-hmm. the big distinction. So people say, "Oh, let's go build this AI." And AI is, you know, um, effectively artificial intelligence. Machine learning is a component of AI. So AI is a much bigger set. Um, you know, speech to text is AI as well. Ultimately, these things are out there and the technology works, but it doesn't work as well as people say it does. And I mm-hmm. think that's where the confusion comes in as, oh, well, you know, you're not going to need an accountant because you're going to have AI running around doing everything. And I'll say, well, no, that's not right because you need lots of data. Who's going to clean up your data? Who's going to make mm. sure that their counting rules are correct? Mm. What about the anomalies? What about the accountant saying, you know what, the machine says this, and actually it's not the case because there's an anomaly in the data? Mm. Now, many people don't realise this, but 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 um, predictive analytics is actually you know like most things was used in the military for many years, um, particularly in submarines. So what they had was they had torpedoes which would um, based on computer programming and understanding. Um, uh, data around weathers and and currents and temperatures uh, predict if a torpedo was shot in a certain direction, it would hit the target, right? But they actually had a human standing next to, you know, this computer. When it computed all this information, they would say, you know what, that just doesn't feel right. That doesn't – it's not going to hit that target. And then, and then, you know, because he's got years and years of experience of, mm. of knowing where, where and, and it just so happens that there's a, a, a freak storm that's in the data set that, that made a correction. So Elon Musk, uh, uh, you know, sort of unwound his fully automated factory because he realized that AI on its own is not going to solve everything. You need a human, but the role of the human is different. So that's I That's guess-
1: fascinating.
0: The 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 the, two, the the way I describe the two bits is AI machine learning is more computer, less human, not mm. no human, less human, and financial modelling is more human, less computer.
1: Got it. Okay. All right. Well, look, um, thank you so much, Lance, for running us through all of this. I think um, what we'll do now is in part two, we'll come back and we'll really look at how we can take all of these elements that we've talked about today in the application of, um, of the M&A area. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much, Lance, for coming along um, and chatting to us today. We'll be back very soon with part two, um, with Lance and Mark talking about the application of this fascinating area of financial modeling and analytics in, um, the world of M&A. But Lance, if people want to contact you, um, uh, because they're interested in some financial modeling for themselves, how do they do that?
0: Uh, thanks, Joanna. Um, probably the, the the best place to get me is on LinkedIn, um, or you can email me directly at uh, lance.rubin, R-U-B-I-N, at bgc-consultants.com. That's bgc-consultants.com. Um, and also you can go to the website bgc-consultants.com. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and uh, would love to see how we can help.
1: Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. Well, we we'll look forward to seeing you in part 2. Well, that's it for part 1 of our two-part series all about financial modeling for business insight and decision making. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic or indeed you would like to be able to contact Lance and Mark, then head over to our website at the deal room podcast. Dot com where you'll be able to see information about this episode and you'll also be able to link straight through to Lance and Mark. There you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Now, don't forget to tune in to next week's episode, part two of financial modeling for business insight and decision making, where we really delve deeper into how financial modeling can be used in a practical sense in M&A preparation and M&A transactions as well. We look at it from a number of different perspectives and we also have a little bit of a look at how financial modelling can be applicable to assisting family and generational businesses to look at this tricky concept of succession planning and how to align the differing views of many different stakeholders. Well, that's it and more in episode two of this two-part series. Looking forward to seeing you next week and thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.